0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. All right. Um, John chapter 7. Um, f- finish a phrase for me, will you? Familiarity breeds contempt. Um, I-, I don't know that that's true. I think it's a phrase, but I don't know that the phrase is actually true. Um and here, here's why, because, because I think um, it's, it's not familiarity per se, it's ingratitude for the thing that we are familiar with. Um, in relational um, studies and, and therapy and stuff, like one of the ways, if you're experiencing contempt for somebody that you are in a relationship with, one of the ways that you combat that is actually to express gratitude for the things that they do, because gratitude um, has a way of overcoming and overwhelming contemptuous feelings. So it may be ingratitude with what we're familiar with that is underneath the actual feeling of contempt. Uh, one of my favorite authors says um, that it's not familiarity, but it's actually unfamiliarity um, that breeds contempt. I'm not quite sure that that's reality either, only because I think it may be... Uh, unfamiliarity and then people respond with fear to something that they are unfamiliar with and in doing so that is the thing that breeds contempt. Um, we're going to see the latter of that today. Not, not familiarity with Jesus but an unfamiliarity with him. A, not an understanding of who he is but a misunderstanding of who he is and that misunderstanding creates fear and fear is what breeds contempt. And so in John chapter 7 we're going to start In verse uh, 25, Uh, just one more time around, just for everybody's sake, Jesus is in Jerusalem, he's celebrating uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Um, And uh, um, this is a huge cultural moment uh, for them where they are expressing gratitude for all that God has given them over the past year as they um, kind of come to the end of harvest time. And they are also reminding themselves by living in these kind of temporary shelters we talked about last week, kind of going camping in your own backyard. This is the kind of thing that they're working with and and kind of the mindset. It's a reminder that, hey, this place is not ultimately home. Really grateful for all that God has done. And this place is an ultimately home. John chapter 7, verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this the man, excuse me, is this not the man uh, whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ or this is the Messiah? But we know, uh, excuse me, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from? But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him, him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ or the Messiah appears, uh, will he do more signs than this man has done? Uh, just one thing of note as I was reading, Christ is the Greek word for the um, Hebrew word Messiah. So if I interchange those, that's why. Okay, I just want to have that in our brains. Um, three kind of misunderstandings here in the text. We're going to read. This is one. We'll read some more in just a second see a segment. Uh, Misunderstanding number one, they don't understand where Jesus came from. They they actually don't understand where he's come from. Back, back, if you will, in verse 27, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Messiah appears, no one will know where he comes from. They had um, built around uh, their idea of Messiah, a superstition, that he was just going to pop up, show up out of nowhere, like, ding, here he is. They, they knew they had prophecy uh, from uh, the book of Micah, chapter five, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But then, like I don't know, he'd go away for a while or something, and then poof, there he is, right? They, they would just kind of show up on the scene. They had an incorrect assumption about him. Uh, skip down to verse forty-one; you'll see this um, th- this particular part. Others said this is Jesus, or excuse me, this is the Christ. Um, but some said is the Christ to come from Galilee has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David comes from Bethlehem the village where David was so they've got this prophecy but they also have this superstition built around so some teaching and then some superstition around this thing this is why they don't understand or have an incorrect assumption about the Messiah and about where he comes from they misunderstood where he comes from he is not just born in Bethlehem and then appears he, he's an actual man with an actual life. He moved from the, that kind of area up to Nazareth and uh, up to that, that uh, northern part of Israel. Um, and he, this is where he grew up. And they think, oh, well, we know where you come from. Uh, I don't know about that. And that's really where the second part is. In verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he saw in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. Now, that is like part accusation and part question. It's something like, you know me? Seriously? You know where I come from? Are you real? It, it sounds a little bit like that. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. They're, they are uninformed, if you will, of his origin story. Now, when you get an origin story in your mind, it's kind of a thing, um, uh, uh, in a, a part of our, of our culture, but origin story. Yeah, you, do you know this phrase? You know the idea behind it? I'll just give you a couple of examples here. Uh, How many Star Wars nerd fans do we have in here? Along with me? Okay. Episode three. Episode three. Yeah, I've got some nods out here. Episode three. It is the origin story for, fill in the blank here, people, Darth Vader. You know the place from which Darth Vader has arisen because you've seen the darkest of all of the Star Wars episodes. Episode three. Uh, Wicked, Wicked, got Wicked fans in here? A a few, a couple. There wasn't near, that we had more Star Wars nerd fans than we had Wicked fans. So let's just, if you're a Wicked fan, Wicked the musical, if you're a Wicked fan, go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, you can be proud of this. I I saw it with my wife, I loved it, it was good. Um, but this is the origin story for you Wicked fans. I feel like I'm looking over here now, because this is kind of where the hands went up. This is the origin story for the Wicked Witch of the East, right? The West, East. Which one? I'm confused now. Yeah, okay, whichever one. It's the story for the other one, okay? It's, uh, I mean, it, it tells you the backstory of what they're doing here. Uh, one more. Uh, anybody? Uh, well, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, look at all the hands. They're like, yeah, man, we love this stuff. Iron Man. Yeah, it is the story. Of how this, this comes to be. Oh, and finally, if you're at this stage of life, any Frozen 2 fans out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get it. You get it. Okay? You get it. So, the, the origin story, <laughs> the, the, the origin story is kind of a, it, it's a device, um, but it really is intended to tell the backstory. And Jesus is saying, you've got my origin story all wrong. You know where I came from? Are you serious? No, you don't. You 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 know what this is? No, you really don't. You think you know me? You really don't. He was born in Bethlehem. He is out of the line of David. He isn't just coming um, uh, down from Galilee like this. This is a part of his uh, uh, life while he was here on the Earth, and part of their misunderstanding and um, a lack of understanding. Uh, they were uninformed about this and of course it led to fear that's why they were trying to kill him that's why they were trying to arrest him um he was sent from the father for the sake of our salvation that's the thing he was sent from the father and he was for the sake that's why he says i, I came he who sent me is true in him you do not know uh, I actually read this just a few minutes ago, but I just want to come back to it here uh, in Philippians chapter 2. It's such a beautiful passage, and it really is the origin story uh, of Jesus. Come on, fingers. uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to or leveraged for his own benefit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. His, His origin story doesn't start in Bethlehem. His origin story starts in eternity past. And he's coming at the will of the Father to live perfectly and to die sacrificially, ultimately to rise victoriously and then to be exalted gloriously. That is the origin story. That's the story they didn't get. So where is he going? Oh, excuse me. That's the next point. Let me just get to this. Um, he is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. That. That is. When when they misunderstood Jesus, and because they misunderstood him, their fear took over and it bred contempt for him. They misunderstood where he came from. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. Second part, Um, they misunderstood where he was going. This is what I was trying to get to just a second ago. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. The chief priests, the Pharisees, sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and Then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me. Where I'm going, you will not come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will see me, you will not find me, where I'm going, you cannot come. They misunderstood where he was going. A couple things on this. Number one, um, this is not relocation, okay? Not relocation. When he says, where's he going to go? Is he going to go to the Greeks? So uh, the the Jews from the the Holy Land there had been dispersed over a couple of centuries into the uh, the broader empire of the time, uh, specifically into kind of southern Europe. Not not only, not exclusively so, but, but in that direction. And so, they, and so they're like, oh, well, maybe he's going to Greece or Italy or Turkey or somewhere. And he's going to go um, tell the Jews who've relocated there about this. No, no, no. This is not what he's talking about. It's not relocation. They misunderstood where he was going. And secondly, he wasn't just getting up out of there immediately. Like he wasn't just, poof, going to be gone. It, it, uh, it was not immediately, meaning he, he recognized that the hour was coming, but it wasn't here yet. God always has a timetable for what he's going to accomplish. And it's perfect. Of note, rarely is it my timetable for what I want him to accomplish. Anybody down with that? But he does have a timetable, and it's perfect. Their fear fed their insecurity. And that led to injustice. They were seeking to arrest him. They were going to try to kill him. So look down a little bit later in the chapter. uh, Verse 45. Officers uh, came to the chief priests and Pharisees. And they said to him, why didn't you bring him in? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. So they had sent, uh, the Pharisees and the leaders of the day had sent out kind of their uh, uh, police, if you, the, the force, uh, to, to bring Jesus in. And they're like, where is he? Well, we've never heard a guy talk like this. His life was so consequential that people were like, yeah, we're coming to. Uh, uh, what? There's something about the, just the sheer force of his life, the gravitas which he carried around with him. Officers answered, no no one ever spoke like this man. Verse 47, the Pharisees answered him, have you been deceived? Have you also been deceived? Verse 48, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Leaders often look at the ignorant masses and be like, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're doing. Nicodemus, who had gone uh, to him before, that's chapter three, uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again, otherwise you won't see the kingdom. Um, That's this Nicodemus, who, by the way, was a Pharisee. So when they said, have any of the leaders or the Pharisees believed in him? Nicodemus is like. Nicodemus, who had gone before, who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises uh, from Galilee. So they had fear. That fed their insecurity, and that insecurity was leading them to injustice. Where is is he going then? Why does Jesus point this out? Where I'm going, you can't follow. First of all, he's going to the cross. And we know this because we've read the rest of John. They didn't know it at the time in their moment of experience with him. They couldn't follow because he was going to do something for them that they could not do for themselves. He was going to accomplish something on their behalf that they never would have been able to do. He was going to pay for their sins for which they never would have been able to pay. Jesus was going to the cross and he was going to pay for their sins. We try. Oh God, here I am. I'm going to tell you I messed up and I know I messed up and I'm really sorry about that. However, I showed up at church on Sunday. I even smiled at some people that I'm not so sure that I like because they were on the other side of the football field yesterday. It's cool, but I did. I smiled at some folks and, uh, and, and this time, this time, this time, I'm going to do better. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it better. In fact, I'm never going to do that again. Four hours later, you're like, I'm never going to do it like again, like again, you know, like again. We try to pay for our own sins. How? By um, accomplishing things, by not accomplishing things, by um, sitting outside and kind of judging, being like, I, I don't want any part of that, and kind of pushing folks. We try to pay for our own sins through our associations or our accomplishments. But here's the deal. All we do is put ourselves on the religious treadmill where we wear ourselves out and get absolutely nowhere. You and I cannot pay for our sins. The debt is too great. And Jesus is going to the cross, and he's saying to them then and us now, you and I, you and I, he's saying to us, I'm paying for your sins. You can't do that on your own. I'm going to do it for you. He was going to the cross. Secondly, he was going to the tomb. We cannot go to the grave and return on our own. We, we cannot, um, We can, death will ultimately overwhelm us if somebody doesn't step in and help us in that moment. And don't make this, like some people make the mistake, they don't worry about it, they don't think about it. No, 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 we have to um, have this as a concern. Why? Because it ends the same way for all of us, all of us. But the good news of Jesus is he not only went to the cross to pay for our sin so that that is cared for. He also went down into the tomb to defeat death on our behalf. You and I can experience life, life that lasts forever, life that is marked with the weight of eternity. We can experience this because this is what Jesus has accomplished for us. He went to the tomb and he came out of the tomb. You and I, if it were not for him, we would go to the tomb and we'd still be there. He's going there. We can't go with him. But he's going to do something on our behalf while there. And lastly, he's going to the Father. He's going to the father because after the tomb, he dies on the cross. He lays in the tomb. He rises again, spends 40 days with his followers being like, okay, kids, I still got some stuff to tell you. Let me tell you a few things. Come here. Come here. Let's gather up. Okay. Let's try this together. I want you to know that. No, 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 no. Not like that. Let's do this instead. So he's going to the father and ultimately 40 days after he rose from the dead, he also rises from the earth and goes to the right hand of the father. We can't do that, but we will, but we will. How do you know that? Jesus is pretty clear about this, that you and I, we will accompany him and get to live with him forever. This is the great promise. He was going to the Father. We cannot go with him, but we will. But we will. They had a misunderstanding about where um, he was going. Last misunderstanding. I think really this is the heart of chapter seven. They misunderstood what he's doing. Where he came from, where he was going, and they misunderstand what he's doing. Some people put Jesus in a religious box that says, oh good, one more religious leader to either make me feel bad or try to make my life better. He's not in the business of that at all. He's in the business of making your life different. This is what he says in John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me, drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said of the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. They misunderstood what he's doing. What is he doing? What was he doing in that moment? What is he doing in this one? One, he is naming our deepest need. He uses the, uh, the word thirst. If anyone comes to me, if, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty. Depending upon who you ask, you can live for weeks on end without food. That doesn't sound particularly pleasant, but you can. And again, depending upon which scientist, it's all roughly in the same uh, area. You can only live three days without water. Your body needs water more than it needs food. That is the deepest, if you will, and most essential physical need is water. And here, he is naming the deepest need of your soul. And he puts it in that same language. Are you thirsty? Some of you are here this morning, you're like, I don't know that I am. I don't feel all that thirsty. I, of soul when you're watching online you're like I, I don't know I mean I don't I think I'm doing okay whether or not we recognize it it is still the reality of our souls that we all have thirst now we do our best we all know this to be true. Why? Because we're constantly looking for something to satisfy the deepest needs of our soul. Um, it, it can be um, success, be our own success, or the success of our kids, particularly in suburbia. The success of our kids is just as important as our own, or maybe at times more important. It could be status, am I connected to uh, the right people in the right group? Or again, if I'm idol- um, making an idol out of our, our kids, are my kids connected to the right groups? Are they on the right teams? Are they in the right clubs? Are they doing the things that, that um, successful kids do, status? It, it can be um, sexual fulfillment or expression. Um, and certainly in, in suburbia, it can be safety. We go Digging these wells, hoping, hoping that something that we find as we continue to dig will satisfy the deepest needs of our soul. This is not new. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 2, has this beautiful passage. It is very convicting, but it's beautiful. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens. Jeremiah's like, stars, look look down at what these people are doing. Can you believe this? Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, two of them. One, they have forsaken me, The fountain of living water. Secondly, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, wells. Broken cisterns that don't hold any water. He diagnosis the problem. We've turned away from God and we've hewed out for ourselves. We've dug for ourselves wells and these wells don't hold water. They are not giving us living. We've we had the fountain of living waters and we've turned away and we have um, dug wells for ourselves. And it could be any expression of things that we think, oh good, this, this finally is going to satisfy my soul. This finally is going to slake this thirst of mine. This finally is going to meet the deepest needs of who I am. I'm going to dig, I'm going to dig. Oh, that wasn't it. Okay, let let me dig somewhere else or let me just dig deeper on this one that I'm doing right now. Listen, whatever it is, it will not satisfy your soul. You were made for something more than what you can accomplish on your own. Deep in your heart is a thirst that only the fountain of living water can satisfy. He names our deepest need. And secondly, he offers the best possible solution to this need. What is that? Come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. He offers the very thing that will actually slake your thirst. Drink. You got thirst? Here's drink. But more than that, he's not just kind of setting it on a shelf and saying, okay, now... I got these five things that you have to do before... No, no, no. He offers us the opportunity to actually experience it. Not to say, oh good, there is something out there that maybe one day I can attain. No, he's offering it to us right now. If anyone's thirsty, like if you if you got... If you have this inside of you and you know that it's inside of you, and you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Come experience this. And it sounds different. I mean, maybe this isn't, maybe it's not clicking for you. So it sounds different in different parts of the the New Testament as Jesus is speaking. Here's one of the ways that it sounds. Come to me, all of you who are weary and are heavy laden. Does that qualify? Anybody? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon. Come drink. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle, lonely heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You thirsty? Come to me. Um, in in uh, um, Matthew chapter 19, let the little children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom. I've got great news. You don't have to have everything figured out about who God is and what exactly he wants for you, let the little ones, come on, come on, come on. These little ones. You can be like that and come to him. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. That's what Jesus says. Uh, In in, uh, um, Luke uh, chapter six, come to me. Hear my word and obey, and you will be like a house that gets built on a rock instead of on sand. And the winds will come, and the storms will blow, and the floods will rise, and guess what? Your house will stand. You will have a life that works. Are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Just one chapter earlier in the book of John. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. It doesn't matter what your current situation is, what your past situation is, what the things you're thinking about making your situation. It doesn't matter. Come to me and I won't cast you out. He's not going to turn you away. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. At the very end of the book in Revelation chapter 22, the spirit and the bride say come. And here's what he says. Let the one who is thirsty come and drink from the river of living water without cost. It's been paid for, it's free to you and me. If you're thirsty, come and drink. He offers the best possible solution to our deepest need. And in doing so, he gives us the absolute best promise anyone thirst let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture said from his innermost being from his heart out of his heart will flow rivers of living water in this he spoke of the spirit who they don't they didn't have yet they would at the end they didn't have yet because jesus hadn't been crucified and resurrected he had not been glorified yet he offers the very best promise. What is that promise? It is a deep satisfaction of soul that comes from the Holy Spirit. If you come to him and believe in him, you um, receive his Holy Spirit. He puts his spirit inside of you. And that spirit goes to work in the transformational um, a power of the resurrection to change you from the inside out. That's what he's after. He offers this promise and this promise comes with this deep satisfaction of soul such that you are, you are in the process today. If you have believed in him and received him into your life and his spirit is at work, you are in the process of day of becoming a different person. A satisfied person who's becoming even more deeply satisfied in who he is. He is speaking, it says here, uh, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow these... He, he is right in the flow of all that the scripture is saying. He's bringing together, synthesizing, if you will, all these images. Moses is in the wilderness, Exodus chapter 17. He's got the people, and they're like, bro, we're thirsty out here. Um, you know, They said, only three days can we live without water. What are we going to do about this? Moses is like, Lord, what do you want to do? Speak to the rock. Poof, water dead out of the rock. I mean, just out of comes. Amazing. Uh, In Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel had some crazy visions, man. That that guy, he saw some stuff. One of the things that he saw was in Ezekiel chapter 47. There's a, a river that starts flowing from the temple. And he, like, he stepped into it and he's like, oh, this is kind of nice, ankle deep. And then he stepped a little bit more, knee deep, stepped a little bit more, hip deep, stepped a little bit more. He's like, this is a river so deep that I cannot, I mean, you, you could get absolutely get lost in it, flowing from the temple, the place where God would dwell. Jesus is synthesizing, and there's more, Nehemiah chapter 9 and other places. He's synthesizing all of these things, bringing it together to say, listen, this is the promise that has always been. I want to put my spirit within you to begin the work of changing you, transforming you, while, not not so that, but while I am deeply satisfying the, the um, need of your soul. If anyone's thirsty, let him come To me and drink. Please don't mistake this for emotional euphoria here because this is not that. It's not just an emotional moment where you get up on the high, the mountain high, and be like, oh God, you're so awesome, and here comes Monday. That's not what he's after at all. He's not after you having a euphoric moment, he is after the deep, satisfying, transformational work of his spirit in your life. Why? Why is it the best promise? Why is it the best promise? A little context here. In the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, what they would do as they were gathered in Jerusalem, uh, there would be a guy who got a big uh, 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 vat of water and they toted it up the temple stairs. The, the priests led them up the stairs to the temple and they toted it up and then they poured it out. And so they were trying to kind of picture in some ways this thing from Ezekiel. And so this, this pot of water would get poured out and you'd see a little water coming down the steps there. Cool. It's awesome. Why is it the best? Here's why it's the best. Number one, God does it, not us. I'm not having to carry anything up any steps. Jesus has already carried it for me. I'm not having to accomplish anything or find something or haul something. Jesus has already done it on my behalf. He does it, not us. Secondly, it springs up. It's not carried up. Did you see what it says? Out of his heart will flow springs of or rivers of living water. This kind of wells up within you. It just comes out. It springs up out of you. This is... I, I don't have to produce this. God does it. I don't have to carry this burden. God supernaturally does it. It's why it's a better promise. And thirdly, rivers, not trickles. Not one little pot of water you kind of pour out. Oh, everybody, look at our symbol. No, 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 no. Rivers, not drips. Some of us live because just because we've gone through the things that we've gone through or we were raised in the environment where we were raised. And that's how we think about God. God is in the business of just giving us just enough, right? Like just enough to survive. Here, here's half of a cracker. Oh, here, take these little um, couple of drips of water, put it on your tongue, it'll be okay. That is not the picture that Jesus is painting for us. He is saying there is a river of living water that he wants to... By his spirit, he wants to start bringing to bear on our lives and it starts flowing out of us. He is not turning off the tap so that it's just drip, 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 drip. He is saying it is fully open and it will utterly satisfy you and change you. That's what he's saying. Jesus wants to satisfy us so deeply that our lives flow. With his life-giving presence And, and and because if i've got a river in me it will not be contained only in me it gets pushed out to others so that they experience it too the river of life is not just for me it is for everybody these springs of living water, this, this thing that Jesus is wanting to work in us, satisfied people can have this experience and then it will flow out in ministry and transformation for others. He wants to so satisfy us so satisfied, the deepest needs of our heart, that we become people who minister to others in that same power, in that same satisfaction. So what do we do? We come to him. If you're thirsty, Come. Whoever believes in me, he has died for your sin. He has risen again to give you life. And he wants to do this kind of work in you. Folks, this is not superficial. Do not settle for that. Our culture is just rife with superficiality. Don't settle. He wants to do this deep work in you, satisfying you and then letting you being a part of ministry to others. Let's pray together. Um, Holy Spirit, I, I ask you uh, that wherever you need to well up within us right now, that you would do so You would point out the places where we have struggled and um, striven in order to uh, dig our own wells and you would show us just how broken they actually are. Holy Spirit, if there's a place in us that that is just so shallow and superficial and we're pretending that it's okay, I pray that you would show us. Jesus, you really do want to satisfy us. So I pray that that would be our reality today, our experience today. Please. I say to you, gather people, God, what Jesus has said, if you're thirsty, come to him. Come to him and drink. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear that in Jesus' name.